This morning we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians, this week in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, which is, I know, shorter than what my normal scripture reading is, but never fear, there's lots of other scriptures in there. (laughs) Uh, You're probably only going to have the one, uh, because I didn't get all the information to them before they left for vacation, but uh, you can just follow along in your Bibles if you have them. Uh, My title of my message this morning, Only God Knows the Heart. And God indeed does know each of our hearts. You know, I was just thinking this week, really God knows us better than we know ourselves right. in many ways. And He knows the heart of man. He knows what's in a man's heart. And we don't always know what's in another person's heart. Sometimes we do, but many times we do not. But God truly knows the heart, and His judgments are true and faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1-5. through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that's in this place. And I thank you that your Spirit guides us and directs us each and every day. Father, may our ears and our hearts be open to receive your word, what you have for us today, Father. And I pray that you would be exalted and lifted high, for you are the one that is worthy. You are worthy of all praise and adoration, and you are worthy that we should walk in your ways and follow you because you are God, because you are the Lord Most High, the Creator. We thank you, and again, we just invite your presence, Lord, not just here, but into our lives every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When Paul, speaking to the believers at Corinth, And he tells them to consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The us he's referring to is again, he's continuing to deal with this issue that was going on in the Corinthian church. That some were saying that, well, I am of Apollos and I am of Peter and I am of Paul. The believers there had taken these men and had exalted them and lifted them up and thought one was greater than the other. Think, well, I am... I'm better because Paul's the one that led me to Christ. Paul's the one that taught me. So they were exalting men. Brothers and sisters, we are not to exalt men. We're not to, I don't care what evangelist or pastor it is, we're not to exalt men. Billy Graham, when he was still alive, would say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not going to get to heaven because I preached to millions of people. I'm going to get to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't exalt Billy Graham. Don't exalt any famous pastor or preacher or no man. Exalt God and God alone. So that's what he's saying. Consider us servants. Consider us stewards of the mysteries of God. Don't lift us up. Just consider me a servant of the Almighty God. That's what he's saying. A servant of the ministry of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, whether you are a teacher, a evangelist, a pastor or even a parent. You are a minister of the gospel. 
And we need to be faithful stewards of the ministers being ministers of the gospel. We need to be faithful in what we say. Some say that apostles, true apostles, are only those that had seen Christ. And that teaching probably is true. But modern day ministers should also be considered stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we believe, when we believe in our hearts, we are to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and be faithful. The Greek word for steward is okomamia. Probably not a real good pronunciation of that, but it means to be a manager. To be a manager possibly over an entire household, an administrator or overseer which is given trust. That the, the master puts their trust in them. A steward could be entrusted to manage the household and yet he himself own nothing. You follow me? And that's what Paul's saying here. I'm a servant. I'm a steward. So a steward could own nothing, but yet be entrusted with great wealth or great amount of management. And there is no better story to demonstrate this. Gary probably already knows where I'm going. The story of Joseph. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament, Genesis. Who is Joseph? He is the next to the youngest son of Jacob. Benjamin is younger, but Joseph was a favored son of his father. Because he was born to him, he was the firstborn of Rachel. Now, this is just for those that maybe not have studied that. If you remember, Jacob married Leah and then Rachel, but his father-in-law tricked him and given him Leah. He didn't really want Leah because she wasn't as pleasing to the eyes. That's a good way to put it. He, she wasn't as pleasing to the eyes, but he loved Rachel with all of his heart. He truly loved her. Well, Rachel was a, a long time before she was able to bear Jacob children. So he had ten sons with Leah. And then Jake, or Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. And then, then Benjamin. So... He was special in his father's eyes. And I'm sure everyone's heard of the coat of many colors. I mean, his father made him that beautiful coat. And, but jo- Joseph was blessed. And the God gave him dreams and visions and be able to interpret dreams. But it, it really wasn't a downfall. It was all God's plans. But he would go tell his brothers these dreams he had. And in his dream, his, he was a, you know, they were wheat. They was wheat standing up in the field. Well, and his brothers, we bowed down to him. So his brothers say, you're saying that we're going to bow down? He said, I'm just telling you the dream God gave me. And then another dream, they, they were the stars and he was the moon and they too were bowing down to him. So all these things that he shared with these ten older brothers did nothing but make them angry. That's right. Made them jealous. Made them bitter towards their younger brother Joseph. So then one day... His father says, Joseph, I need you to go out into the field. I mean, they were off in a distant country. You need to go check on your brothers, see how they're doing, see how the flock's doing. So they see him coming far off. And there comes that, uh, that no good brother of ours. So they devised this plan. They're going to kill him. But Judah spoke up and said, no, don't kill him. So they threw him into a pit while they decided what they were going to do with them. And then there came a band of Ishmaelites down the road, 
So they pull Joseph out of the pit and they sell him, sell their own brother to these Ishmaelites. So that's how Joseph gets carried down to Egypt. So just a little bit of history there. So now I'm going to read the scripture to you. I had to give you that so you know what this all meant. Genesis 39, 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Pontifer, an officer of Pharaoh. So you know Pharaoh is king of Egypt, right? Pontifer is an officer for Pharaoh. Captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. I'm going to pause there a minute. Some people would say, now wait a minute. You're telling me that Joseph was a successful man? He's a slave. His brother sold him. The Ishmaelites bought him and then Pontifer bought him. He's a slave and you're going to tell me that God was with him? God blessed him? Yes. God blessed him. We need to not look at our circumstances all the time when we're going to try to figure it out if we're blessed. God blessed him. God was with him. Listen to the rest of this. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hands. Though none of this belonged to him, all that Joseph touched prospered. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house. Steward made him overseer of his house. And all that he put, his, put under his authority, all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. God blessed this Egyptian household for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. He had to worry about nothing. Joseph took care of everything. He was a faithful steward. He never once lied to his master. He never cheated his master. He could have had opportunity because his master wasn't worried about it. Man, all he had to worry about was going and sitting down and eating his meals. He put that much faith and trust in Joseph. He was a faithful steward. Since we're talking about the mysteries of God, how important it is that we are faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. What an amazing thing the way God caused these events to turn out in Joseph's life. We know that Joseph eventually was put in charge over all of Egypt, right under Pharaoh. He went from being under Pontifer's house to be in charge of all of Egypt because he interpreted the dreams and Pharaoh put him right under him. All answered to Joseph. God placed him there for a reason. It was a great mystery. God intervenes in amazing ways. In amazing ways. In the lies and the stories that we read in the Bible, but He also intervenes in our lives in amazing ways, does He not? God may not have delivered Joseph from slavery. He may not deliver us from the circumstances we find ourselves in sometimes. But we can trust that God is faithful. So are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be faithful stewards in every situation? Pontifer had absolute trust in Joseph. Complete trust. 
And that's the point. Because he was a faithful steward to a master, his master. Stewards are faithful to their master above all else, above everything else. There were probably other servants in that household that didn't always like what Joseph did because Joseph was called to be faithful to his master and that's his master only. We are called to be faithful to our master. No matter what other people might think, we are called to be faithful to our master. I found a story about a lighthouse keeper, a newly hired lighthouse keeper. He worked on a rocky stretch of coastline and he would receive a new supply of oil once a month to keep the lighthouse burning. Not being far from the village, he had frequent visits and requests. One night a woman from the village begged him for some oil to keep her family warm. And he thought, well, that's a legitimate request, so he gave her some oil. Another time a man came and asked for some oil for their lamps. And he thought, well, I guess that's pretty important too. The man needs to be able to see at night, so he gives him some oil. Not long, another comes for some oil for some lubricant. And since all these requests seemed legit, he tried to please everyone, granted their request. Toward the end of the month, though, he noticed that his supply of oil was running out. And it wouldn't be for another week before the other oil came. Soon, the light went out. That night, several ships wrecked and lives were lost. When the authorities investigated, the man was very repentant, to his excuses and pleadings, their reply was, you were giving oil for one purpose only, to keep the lighthouse burning. Paul's ministry and all ministers of the gospel are given the light for one purpose, to keep the light burning, Amen. to keep the light shining, to keep the message of the gospel going. Be faithful to that, that message, that call. Always. 1 Peter 4, 7-11 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another. For the love for love will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God. Hallelujah. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. See, when I get up here and speak, I should be speaking as the oracles of God. Not me. It's about God. I am representing Him. I am His steward. And that's what all ministers of the gospel need to be. Stewards ministering as the oracles of God. Not me, but Him. That's what Paul's, this whole thing's about. Give him the glory, not me. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a, many years ago I preached a sermon called, leaving a, I don't know if I titled it Leaving a Legacy or a Legacy, one or the other. And how important that we leave a legacy for those that will follow us. But you know there's a song that's popular now. You've probably heard it and you probably have too. It says, I don't want to leave a legacy that I will be remembered. Don't remember me. But the legacy that I leave, I want you to remember Jesus. Amen. 
That's probably not exactly the way it goes. But the legacy shouldn't be about us. If we leave any legacy at all, it needs to be about Jesus. May they remember Jesus because of me. That's the legacy we should be leaving. Whether they remember me a hundred years from now, who cares? But hopefully many know Jesus because of our ministry. Amen? That's what it's about. That's what being a faithful steward is about. Our scriptures, the last part of verse 3 and all of verse 4 said, I do not even judge myself. This is Paul speaking. He says, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Wow. Does everybody know who the Apostle Paul was? Remember when he was Saul? Saul was out to crush this new movement called the Way for Christians. He was out to crush them. He, would, he got letters to go off to distant cities and drag them back. Bring them before the religious leaders. He stood there. They actually put uh, Stephen's jacket or clothes in his hands and he stood there and watched Stephen be stoned to death. This is Saul who became Paul. And he's saying, I know nothing against myself. Nothing. You're going to say, wow. He did a lot of harm to the church when it was beginning. And he says, I know nothing. Why can he say, I know nothing? My friends, brothers and sisters, same way that we can say, I know nothing against myself. Because he understood the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ. Do you understand the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ? If Paul could drag them off and stand there and watch them be stoned to death because they believe in Christ, and he could now say, I know nothing against myself because his sins are forgiven, we too can say that. I don't care how great your sins, you can say, I know nothing against myself if you've asked for forgiveness from Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's what He did. Amen? Amen? Nothing against myself. Brothers and sisters, do not allow the devil to keep reminding you of sins you've already repented of. Hear that. Because I know he likes to remind you of the past. He might even like to remind you of things you're doing today. But tell him to get behind me. Because I'm a child of the living God. I'm forgiven. I found a story. It was titled Statistics and Stuff. And it's by C.F. Henry. He says, The glory of a good person is the testimony of a good conscience. A good conscience is able to bear very much and is very cheerful in adversities. Wow. I need help with that sometimes. because <laughs> Come on. It's hard to be cheerful in adversities, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. An evil conscience is always fearful and unquiet. Never, re- never rejoice except when you have done well. You shall rest sweetly if your heart does not accuse you. Sinners never have true joy or feel inward peace because there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord in Isaiah fifty-seven twenty-one. The glory of the good is in their conscience and not in the tongues of others. The gladness of the just is of God and in God and their joy 
is of the truth. A person will easily be content and pacified whose conscience is pure. If, you're, if you consider what you are within, you will not care what others say concerning you. People consider the deeds, consider the deeds, but God weighs the intentions. To be always doing well and to esteem little of oneself is a sign of a humble soul. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends, says Paul in 2 Corinthians, to walk inwardly with God and not to be kept abroad by any outward affections is the state of a spiritual person. Conscience is that faculty in me which attaches itself to the highest that I know and tells me what the highest I know demands that I do. It is the eye of the soul which looks out either toward God or toward what it regards as the highest authority. If I am in the habit of steadily facing towards God, my conscience will always introduce God's perfect law and indicate what I should do. The point is, will I obey? That is the point. Will we obey? He says, I have to make an effort to keep my conscience so sensitive that I walk without offense. I should be living in such perfect sympathy with God's Son that in every circumstance, the spirit of my mind is renewed. The one thing that keeps the conscience sensitive to Him is the habit of being open to God on the inside. When there is any debate, quit. There is no debate possible when conscience speaks. Amen. End of quote. Back to verse 5 from our passage. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Friends, judge nothing before the time. Pass no great decided opinion upon another. Do not have a harsh opinion towards the conduct of any man, since there are so many things that make up a man's character that we cannot always know. Now I'm going to say yes, there are those without a doubt that we know that they are evil through and through. There are those that any fruit that they bear is rotten. We know that. But there are many that we do not know. Many that we do not know their hearts. So be careful to pass judgment upon them. For when the Lord comes at that day, all the secrets will be revealed. All of them. True judgment will be passed upon all men on that day. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. He will bring to light the secret things that have been hidden in a man's heart. There will be no secrets in that day. All will be revealed. Matthew 7.1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's an important passage. If we truly take that to heart when we look at others, oftentimes we would be quiet, wouldn't we? God knows the hearts of men and women. You know, when you think of heart, what is the heart? It is the most vital, important organ that we have in these bodies, right? Isn't it? All right. The heart is to this body what an engine is to a car. I know. 
These illustrations I use sometimes, working with them. But it is what an engine is to the car. I'm telling you, if, you go out, if your engine fails, your car's done. You're not going anywhere. It is the life of that car. The engine blows up, the engine dies, that car's no good to you. It's not going to go anywhere, it's not going to move, it's not going to do anything. And yes, there are many other components of that car that work in conjunction with the engine. You have to have fuel tank and fuel lines to feed it fuel to help it to go. And cars today have that computer to help it to know what to do and keep it firing right. So that is the brain working with the heart. The arteries are the fuel line that feed the heart, right? So the heart is to these bodies that we have the same thing that an engine is to a car. The mind works in conjunction with the heart. The veins work in conjunction to pump blood, the life through these bodies. When these hearts fail, these bodies are no more. These bodies will die. There's no life in them. The heart is the life of the body, right? It's an amazing organ. It really is. Kids, got a question for you. You want to take a guess at how many times a heart beats in a day, in a 24-hour period? Take a guess. 1,000 times. Anybody else like to guess because that one's way off. 24-hour period. Now you're way off again the other way. Anybody else? Come on, kids. Anybody else? How many times does a heart beat in a day? Come on, Isabel. You're in, you're in high school. Just give me a guess. 100,000 times a day. 100,000 times in a 24-hour period. That is 35 million times a year, and that is 2.5 billion times in the average lifespan. Isn't the heart amazing? If we could get engines to last that long. <laughs> huh? We'd, I mean, if a car manufacturer could get engines to last that long, they'd be amazing. I mean, they would, they would, they would outsell anybody, right? Amen. It's good to laugh. Hallelujah. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, you know, the word heart is used thousands and thousands of times. Thousands of times. But it's not referring to that organ inside of our bodies. It is not referring to that. It is using heart figuratively. Now, we Americans, we tend, when we think of heart, we think, oh, so-and-so has a broken heart because his girlfriend broke up with him or the other way around. We think of emotions when we think of heart. We do. Come on, be honest. Brokenhearted. But we think of emotions. But the biblical word heart is the inner aspect of a man. And it's all parts of the man. It's the mental process. It's where actions and reactions take place. It's the process that will lead a man. It is emotions also. But it is also the will of a man. It's the direction that a man will go. That's what the heart is. The heart is for understanding. Job 38.36 says, Who has put wisdom in the mind? Or who has given understanding to the heart? Who has given understanding to the heart? It discerns between good and evil. In 1 Kings 3.9 Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. 
So the heart helps us to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, moral and immoral. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart. He knows what's in the heart. Jeremiah says, 24-7, that I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord. My friends, this would be a good prayer for our nation. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Their entire heart. That means their entire being. All that is within them. Not just that organ in there pumping blood, but it's the person. It's what makes us who we are. Proverbs 27.19 says, As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. What a good place to end, right? A man's heart reveals the man. You look in that water, you're going to see your reflection. The heart reflects what's in here. Is good stored up in here? Out of the treasures of the heart. The mouth speaks. Thank you, Gary. Out of the treasures of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in here is going to direct everything we do. It's going to direct how we treat others. Do we have compassion in here? Do we have... What did it say to me? Love covers a multitude of sins, right? Do we have love in our hearts for men? For mankind? Do we have compassion? Do we have hope? When Christ is in here, we will walk as He walked. We will imitate Him. Amen. We will love others. And we will be faithful stewards, knowing that we are doing His will. We shouldn't be so wrapped up in me, 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 or this mine, 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 what's mine. But it's all His. He's the owner of it all. Amen? Amen. Let's be faithful. Because God knows the heart, he knows the intents of the heart. And if there's any wicked way in me, we should pray, Lord, cleanse me, that there'll be no wicked way in me. May, I, may my heart be pure, and may it be truly devoted to Thee, my Creator. Amen?